Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Michelle Leslie. And I'm Amy Spreeman. Well, let's get things rolling with a couple of quick shout-outs. Uh, first, a lady named Catherine Mary left us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, she says, quote, I loved what you, your uh, What Would You Do episode. That's one we just did uh, uh, recently. And she says, I shared it with my small group, and I appreciated your spiritual maturity and responses, and always rooted in scripture, not driven by feelings or emotions. Wonderful. Wow. I mean, that is such a cool review, Michelle. And thank you, Catherine mm-hmm. Mary. Really appreciate that. And uh, listeners, we hope you will leave us a positive rating and comment on your favorite podcast platform, too. Uh, Not because we thrive on compliments for our egos or anything like that, uh, but because uh, the way this works is uh, if you want to get the word out to as many listeners, uh, put the gospel in earbuds, that happens because of findability with more comments and higher ratings. That, That helps with that. So uh, next, also thanks so much to Tanya, who is a brand new patron over at Patreon page. And if you'd like to donate to us via PayPal or Patreon, just stop by a wordfitlyspoken.life and click on the support tab. That's right. And while you're at awardfitlyspoken.life, be sure to check check out our shiny new tab entitled Speaking. Amy and I would love <laughs> to come speak at your women's conference, retreat, any other women's event that you're having. And, you know, maybe we can even record a live episode of the podcast to share with all of our Award Fitly Spoken listeners. Remember when we did that a couple of years ago at the Cruciform Conference, Amy? I did. I was the one that was in the screen and you were there in person, but that was a lot right. of fun. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was kind of like a, a live uh, Glad You Asked episode. Yes. And we yeah, took questions a... from the audience and, and answered them. So that was that was a lot of fun. And so maybe we could come to your church and, and do that, you know, at your church or your uh, women's event as well. We and then love one to more... tag. Oh, I was going to say, we, we love to tag team, don't we? I mean, we did that yes, at uh, we Princeton do. Church we in do. Uh, Illinois. That was a lot of fun. That was fun. We want to get together and do that some more. Well, one more last little shout out as we get into our topic for tonight. You can all thank my husband, Scott, for this episode. He was uh, Thanks, scrolling Scott. through Facebook. <laughs> he was scrolling through Facebook one day and he happened upon this post titled Why I Don't Believe in Complementarianism by a lady named Rosa, who has a blog called Gutsy Christianity. And he tagged me in the post so that I could respond to it. And well, you know how it goes. A Facebook comment turned into four or five pages and lo and behold, we had a script for this episode. Now, we we don't really know anything about Rosa other than what she said in this particular Facebook post. So we want to do what scripture says in the golden rule and treat her the way we would want to be treated. So we're going to give her the benefit of the doubt that she is a sister in Christ who maybe just needs a little corrective help in this area of theology. But we also wanted to respond to her post because some of you, or maybe your friends, might share some of her misunderstandings and errors, and we want to help make sure you know what the Bible actually says about these things. So here's what we're going to do. Amy is going to read Rose's post for us in its entirety, and then we're going to go back through and address the problematic ideas in it sort of line by line. We're going to put a Facebook, uh, put a link to the Facebook post in the show notes so that you can follow along if you like as, as Amy's reading and as we're talking about this post. 
uh, also so that we can give proper attribution to the author of the post, and also so that you can see that we're not making anything up or taking anything out of context. And we would like to ask you, our listeners, to please not go over to Rose's Facebook post and bombard her with comments and arguments. Please don't do that. That's not why we're giving you the link. In fact, you know, I was kind of hesitant to give you the link at all because I was concerned that maybe a few in our audience might, you know, go over and do that. So so please don't. Rose's post is just a springboard for us to teach you, not for you to start a social media fight. Amen. Yes. And then finally, if you aren't familiar with the term complementarianism, which is the topic of tonight's episode, it's just a term that means the biblical roles of men and women in the home and in the church. Complementarians believe men and women are both made in the image of God and equal in value to him. However, you know, we have some wonderful, ingenious differences in the way God wired and equipped us. We also have different roles in the home. The the husband is responsible for leading and the wife is responsible for being his helper and, and submitting to his leadership. And in the church, it's the responsibility of biblically qualified men to serve as pastors, elders, and deacons to preach and teach the scriptures to men and any co-ed adult groups, and to fulfill positions of authority over men and co-ed adult groups. So all that being said, and without any further ado, Amy, would you please read Rose's post for us? Of course, and it's a little lengthy, so uh, let's pray my voice holds out for this. Um, Her title is Why I Don't Believe in Complementarianism. Again, this is according to Rosa, not me. She writes, I have read my Bible from cover to cover twice. I've studied and made it my life's mission to follow what the Bible says, and I do not believe in complementarianism. My question for any belief is whether or not it occurs in scriptures, and I do not believe complementarianism does. I know that interpretations vary, and I have read many, many ways in which people say it should be lived out. In a nutshell, the core beliefs that are that women are to follow, uh, they should follow their husbands, only supporting their vision for ministry, life, and work. Some say women should offer no input, and her role is submission, and his role is leadership or headship. I've seen it added that a woman can never turn a man down for intimacy, not even to be opinionated, never, ever, ever lead him, not damage his male ego, and somehow revert to a 1950s ideal that did not exist in biblical times. Some even want women to abstain from voting. Its doctrine also states that men and women are complementary, and this is partially true, and then she writes, ahem, anatomically speaking. We are heading into disturbing murky waters when we define traits as masculine or feminine, and even more so when we say, this is God's plan. Nurturing, strength, sadness, and fear are all written about in the Bible as pertaining to both sexes, and I cannot imagine the damage we inflict when we force a person into one box because they are a girl or out of another box because they are a boy." Rosa goes on, Imagine someone feeling like they are defying God because they're not the picture of what our particular culture in this day or time defines as masculine or feminine. 
Imagine a girl being denied an education because she will only be a wife and mother and therefore doesn't need it. This view takes a portion of scripture, adds to it, making it into a neat little system and does not rightly divide the word of truth. It is a man-made construct that takes away the calling of a woman from God and makes her calling only serving her husband. I read yesterday that that was her sole purpose for existing. And then she, uh, she quotes Psalm sixty-eight, eleven. here. The Lord announces the word, and the women who proclaim it are a mighty throng. God speaks to women. He calls them to ministry. To require a wife to follow her husband in everything means Mary could never have heard from God that she was to carry the Messiah. It means the women in the Bible would not have followed Jesus, but would have followed their husbands who followed Jesus. Luke 8.2.3 talks about the woman who followed Jesus and paid for his ministry out of their own resources. I don't think we'd allow for this today under complementarianism. The Samaritan woman under complementarianism would never have been allowed to preach to those in her town, offending their male egos. The women at the tomb likewise. It ignores Abigail wisely circumventing her husband's dangerous activities. It ignores God telling Abraham to listen to Sarah's voice when she said he must send Ishmael away. And let's not forget that Sarah is put forth as a model of wifely submission. She continues, I know some may balk at my mention of the word submission, but that too is in the Bible. To quote Inigo Montoya, I don't think that word means what we think it means. I fear complementarianism has more to do with maintaining a system that keeps everyone in a certain place than it does following the Bible. When I read discussions about what occupation a woman can have without interfering with the male's ego, another word for pride, I don't think they can provide a proof text. The belief system breaks down as it resists application to those who can't have children or to those who aren't married or for those who are single mothers. Arguing about workforce placement must be distressing to those who are carrying the weight of a broken marriage or who were never married to begin with. From some leaders who espouse this worldview, I have read troubling writings regarding their views on how other races fall into the system, lending itself uh, to defending the Southern cause slavery and a deep fondness for the antebellum South. I wish this were not the case, but it is. You can find one such document here, and then she uh, links to an article unrelated to the topic of complementarianism. And then she writes, there's even a group called the League of the South who descended on Charlottesville, uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, who is associated with one of the writers of the document cited. You can read an article about these ideas writ being written into prominent homeschooling textbooks. And here she links, uh, she's going to link again to an article unrelated to complementarianism. She uh, ends it by saying, We have to be careful to interpret scripture without resorting to constructs made by men for dubious reasons. The Bible does say women are to submit, but nowhere does it say this is a role or a lifestyle. It would be strange indeed if it were, as the scriptures say, to submit to one another. Nowhere does it say men can't listen to women or that women are exempted from following Jesus. 
women died alongside men in the book of Acts for preaching the word. Let us not crucify people today for doing the same thing. Stay gutsy, as she signs off, Rosa. Phew, that's a, that was quite a little uh, post there, that quite lengthy, Michelle, and uh, I, I had to stop myself from um, adding my own commentary at that part. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I had to, too, but we're fixing to add our commentary yep. <laughs> right now. So, I mean, we've got our work cut out yes. for us. So thanks for reading that for us. Okay, so Rosa starts off by saying, I've read my Bible from cover to cover twice. I've studied and made it my life's mission to follow what the Bible says. Okay, on the face of it, that's great. Every Christian should be reading her Bible from cover to cover, and the more times the better. And of course, it should go without saying that every Christian's mission in life should be to follow what the Bible says. But what I want to bring out here is that Rosa looks like she's a fairly young woman from her from her pictures on Facebook. She's a beautiful young lady. Uh, I hate trying to guess people's ages, especially from online photos, but she looks like she's probably maybe in her mid-20s to mid-30s. She's just got this lovely, uh, lovely face and countenance. When she's in her 60s, she's probably going to look like she's still in her 20s and 30s. She's one of those blessed yeah. people who just has that wonderful, fresh, youthful look. But anyway... So she looks like she's probably in her mid-20s to mid-30s, and she does say she was saved in 2008. So that's 13 years that she's been a Christian, if I've done my math right. So many of the theologians who have done most of the work in the field of biblical gender roles are much older, wiser, and more experienced in the faith and in the scriptures than Rosa is. They've read the Bible cover to cover dozens of times. They've they've pastored for decades. They have advanced seminary degrees. And those things don't automatically make a theologian biblically right about something. I mean, we all know people who have lots of theology degrees that are wrong on lots of things. But my point is that for a young woman who's only been saved 13 years, who doesn't appear from what I can see to have any formal training in the scriptures, to say she's read her Bible from cover to cover two whole times as that as though that gives her some sort of theological expertise is a bit naive and also a bit arrogant. When we're studying a theological concept, it behooves us to study scripture first and then perhaps look to older, wiser, more knowledgeable pastors, teachers, theologians, and commentaries to see how our understanding of the scriptures measures up. If I come up with something off the wall and the general consensus of doctrinally sound scholars contradicts my understanding, I probably need to humble myself and do a lot more study. And then the second part of what she says, I've made it my life's mission to follow what the Bible says. I'm sorry, but that's just simply not true in light of her unbiblical personal opinions about the roles of men and women. If you're defying scripture in favor of your own opinion, then it is not, in fact, your life's mission to follow what the Bible says. You can say it all day long. But that doesn't make it true if you're not doing it. That's true. But, you know, we could all stand to, you know, have a little bit more humility and and Bible studying, couldn't we? Right. But uh, Rosa's next statement that we want to touch on is this. 
Quote, in a nutshell, the core beliefs of complementarianism are that women should follow their husbands, only supporting their vision for ministry, life, and work, and that some say women should offer no input, and her role is submission, and his is headship. Um, wow, that's an interesting definition. Michelle, <laughs> is that what you've always been uh, taught as a complementarian? No, you know, at least not the way she's wording it. And I don't know any other doctrinally sound Christians who believe what she's saying either, at least not any doctrinally sound complementarians. Yeah, same here. And I don't know any doctrinally sound complementarians who believe that either, because complementarians believe what the Bible teaches about the roles of men and women. And the Bible doesn't teach this. Someone has redefined the word and the definition, and Rose is happy to run with that. We call that making a straw man argument. And I think one of the problems here is that Rosa isn't specifying who said these things, uh, nor what their exact words were. So we can't go back to the original sermon or book or article that she read and discern for ourselves what that author was trying to say and whether or not Rosa is accurately uh, representing him. I don't think she's making these things up, but it's very likely she must be misunderstanding or taking out of context whatever it is that, uh, that she must have read. Are women to follow their husbands? Well, yes, but what exactly does she mean by that? Are we to follow them if they're abusive or ordering us to sin? Well, of course not. The Bible doesn't teach that. She says, women are to only support their husbands for vision for ministry. Again, what does she mean by this? You know, most husbands aren't even in ministry. Uh, what does it mean if your husband is a, a mailman or an IT guy or a chef? So, yeah, who's in ministry? Uh, she also says, uh, some say women should offer no input. Well, again, who says this? Who's the some? Not doctrinally sound complementarians, because the Bible doesn't teach this. People who rebelliously twist scripture say this, and uh, those people don't represent, as she said, the, quote, core beliefs of complementarians. And that's like watching the people at the Westboro Baptist Church, uh, and I put church in bunny ears, uh, you know, hold one of their blasphemous rallies and then say something like, oh, one of the core beliefs of Christianity is that Christians should come together and scream at homosexuals about how much God hates them. I mean, that's what that's like. Uh, Rosa did get one part right, though. She says, quote, her role is submission and his is headship. Well, this is true because that's what the Bible teaches in Ephesians 5, 22 and 23 and in many other passages. Uh, let's read that quickly. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then the next verse, 23, says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So this, in a nutshell, is one of the core beliefs of complementarianism because this is what the Bible actually teaches. Yeah, that's right. Well, next, Rosa says, I've seen it added that a woman can never turn a man down for intimacy, not be opinionated, never, ever, ever lead him, not damage his male ego, and somehow revert to a 1950s ideal that not, did not exist in biblical times. Some even want women to abstain from voting. Well, like Amy said, it's, it's very important that we define our terms here, but Rosa doesn't. Uh, so depending on what she means by lead, opinionated, and turned down, 
she has not seen any of this stuff in the Bible, which is why complementarians don't believe any of this. First of all, 1 Corinthians uh, 7, 3 through 5 teaches us that neither husbands nor wives are to deprive each other of sex. So that's what complementarians believe not be opinionated? Uh, Well, no Christian is to be opinionated. We're to submit our opinions to scripture. If what she means is that complementarians don't allow women to express their personal thoughts and positions on issues, well, complementarians don't believe this either. I mean, I'll remind everybody that the reason we're even doing this episode is because my complementarian husband solicited my complementarian opinion on Rose's (laughs) post on a theological topic, no less. So, you know, we don't believe that either. Um, What does she say? A wife can never, ever, 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 however, ever many evers were in there, lead her husband. Again, what does she mean by this? I mean, if my husband wants to learn how to make a pie crust and I know more about that than he does, I can't teach him? Of course not. But in the structure of the family, God's plan is for the husband to biblically lead the family and for the wife to help him and follow his leadership instead of trying to take over and and be the leader of the family herself. And then uh, not damage his ego. I mean, I'm sorry, but is she arguing for a wife's right to damage her husband's <laughs> ego? You know, not damaging your husband. I, I think most complementarian yeah. men and women are okay with that. Probably most non-Christian husbands and wives are okay with that. Um, the next thing she says is that some some even want women to abstain from voting. Okay, this is a little bit true, but not the way that Rosa is framing it. First of all, this is not something that most complementarians hold to. But for the the small group that does, um, it's not to keep women down or to oppress them or, you know, some reason like women are too stupid to understand the issues and vote or anything like that. My understanding is that this this is the concept of like one vote per household. In other words, the husband casts the vote for his family after, of course, you know, the husband and wife discuss it together and talk over all the issues and everything. And it would be just just like the husband would make the final decision on any issue in a biblical marriage. And you can see how that fits right in with the whole concept of the husband being the head of the household. And, the, you know, if you think about it also, this is basically how how it was before women had the vote in this country anyway. And, you know, they seem to live through it. Um, And honestly, in a Christian marriage, and I understand that not every marriage is a Christian marriage, but in the context of a Christian marriage, how far apart are you on the major issues and candidates that this would be a huge problem for you if it were somehow enacted? I mean, if you and your husband are both professing Christians and one of you is pro-life and the other is pro-abortion, you've got bigger problems than voting. Like I said, some complementarians believe uh, believe in this one household, one vote idea. The majority of complementarians don't. But anyway, the entire issue is moot because we live under a one-person, one-vote government, and you'd have to restructure the entire Constitution to change that. And we all know that ain't happening in this day and age. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to get those constitutional amendments ratified? I mean, Americans can't even agree on who's a man and who's a woman these days. That's right. (laughs) Well, next, Rosa says that, quote, complementarian doctrine also states that men and women are complementary, 
This is partly true, ahem, she says, anatomically speaking. We are headed into disturbing, murky waters when we define traits as masculine or feminine, and even more so when we say, this is God's plan, end quote. Well, I don't know, Michelle, it sounds like she's saying that men and women are only physically complementary, but this isn't true. God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, fit for means corresponding to. So even in this one brief little verse, we can see that God isn't merely talking about male and female bodies fitting together anatomically for procreation. I mean, look at the words helper and alone in that verse. Look at the way men and women are wired differently in our emotions and our interests. I know my husband and I sure are. Um, But there is far more to complementarity than just our bodies. There are things that men bring to the table that women can't, and there are things that women bring to the table that men can't. We're like two gears in a machine. We we fit together perfectly, yet each one is doing its own distinct job. And as for uh, disturbing murky waters, uh, nope, this is God's plan. He created us this way. Yes, he did. He wisely and wonderfully created us this way. And that's something to be thankful for, not something to kick against. Well, next Rosa goes on to say, imagine a girl being denied an education because she will only be a wife and mother and therefore, quote, doesn't need it. And to that, I would just say, Imagine not knowing the difference between a girl, because she uses the word girl here, a girl who gets a K-12 through education. I've never heard of any complementarian denying their girl children a K-12 through education. Have you, Amy? Nope. Yeah, I have never heard that. So imagine not knowing the difference between a girl and a grown woman of college age who sees the wisdom of not going into thousands of dollars worth of debt for a gre- for a degree that she in all actuality, doesn't need in order to be a wife and mother, nor to obtain gainful employment in the future if necessary. Thousands of years of human history prove that you don't need a college degree to be a wife and mother. I mean, Jesus's mom didn't have a college degree and she did okay, you know. And another thing, nobody is denying grown college-age women a college education. Parents are not obligated to pay for their children's college education, and that's not denying them that education. If they want to go to college, they can do what thousands of other college students have done, get a job, get some scholarships, get some loans, and pay their own way through school. And if an 18-year-old young lady has parents who don't think it's necessary for her to go to college and she doesn't want to abide by whatever her parents' rules are about that, she can get herself together, move out of their house, and make her own decisions as an adult. But again, most complementarians don't believe this, so... Yeah, I'm noticing that we complementarians don't believe most of the things she says we believe. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Um, But let's see what she says next. Uh, Quote, The complementarian view takes a portion of scripture, adds to it, making it into a neat little system, and does not rightly divide the word of truth. It is a man-made construct that takes away the calling of a woman from God and makes her calling only serving her husband. I read yesterday that that was her sole purpose for existing. 
Ah, she did it again. This so-called complementarian view that she's referring to is not complementarianism because the Bible doesn't teach what she's saying. You know, complementarianism is not a man-made construct. It's believing what the Bible teaches. Pretty simple. And uh, once again, she's not giving us any sources or exact quotes. Where did she read that a woman's sole purpose for existing is to serve her husband? Did it actually say that, or is that her own misunderstanding, or uh, her out-of-context interpretation of what she said? Um, and then she uh, she quotes Psalm 68, 11 again, uh, The Lord announces the word, and the women who proclaim it are a mighty throng. God speaks to women. He calls them into ministry, she says, that because she's using that that uh, uh, psalm to say that women uh, should be going into ministry. Well, at least finally, Michelle, she has an exact quote because she's quoted scripture. But sadly, Rosa has ripped this verse from Psalm 68 completely out of context. It was actually part of the culture at that time for women to announce the news of a battle and then lead the way in a victory parade. So if you take the time to read this verse in context, you can see that's exactly what's going on in Psalm 68, as well as Exodus 15, 1 Samuel 18, and a few other places in Scripture. But, you know, what of it? I mean, that has nothing to do with, you know, God supposedly calling women into ministry to preach or be pastors. I'm assuming that's what she meant uh, to, for today. And, you know, it's not even remotely similar and it proves nothing except that, sadly, Rosa doesn't know how to handle scripture properly and in context. We might even remind her of her own words. She said, she wrote, this view takes a portion of scripture, adds to it, making it into a neat little system and does not rightly divide the word of truth. It's a man-made construct. So um, that's what she's actually been doing. And when we seek to understand the Bible's teaching on any point, we go to the clearest and most direct passages first. And in this case, um, you know, that's not any of the passages about women leading victory parades after a battle. It's actually First Timothy 2, uh, 11 and 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Um, that seems really clear cut to me, Michelle. Yeah, me too. It's it's not complicated. It may it may be difficult for a woman who yeah. has an aversion to that idea, but it's pretty simple. <laughs> it's not easy, but it's it's uh, yeah. you know, it's not complicated. So, well, the next thing that Rosa says is this. To require a wife follow her husband in everything means Mary could never have heard from God that she was to carry the Messiah. This I don't know. This is built on so many misconceptions, haha, <laughs> misconceptions, and out of context scriptures that I'm not sure I even understand it. How was Joseph standing in the way when Gabriel appeared to Mary? I mean, he wasn't even there. So he couldn't very well have prevented her from hearing this proclamation from God. Uh, does she maybe mean that complementarians think God should have given the message to Joseph and then Joseph should have given it to Mary? I mean, we don't think that. It would yeah. never enter my mind to think that. She thinks this is what, quote, requiring a wife follow her husband in everything means to a complementarian? I, I just honestly don't get what she's saying here. I've never heard any of any complementarians thinking this way. Um, she goes on to say, it means the women 
It means that the women in the Bible would not have followed Jesus, but would have followed their husbands who followed Jesus. And I know, again, I'm just so confused here. I'm sorry. This is just bizarre so-called reasoning, if you can even call it that. Um, I, I think she's saying women would have put salvific faith in their husbands instead of Jesus. I, I don't even know how someone who has that read through be, the Bible. Yeah. yeah, I don't even know how someone who has read through the Bible, let alone two whole times, uh, could draw such a strange conclusion. Biblical complementarianism neither teaches nor believes anything of the sort because the Bible doesn't teach anything of the sort. Christian husbands are to do everything they can to lead their unsaved wives to Christ and to persuade them to believe in him. Every individual is responsible to God for the condition of his or her own soul. That is plain throughout the New Testament, so that is what complementarians believe. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, anyway, next Rosa says this. She says, quote, Luke 8, 2 and 3 talks about the women who followed Jesus and paid for his ministry out of their own resources. I don't think we'd allow this today under complementarianism. So here, Rosa is speculating about what would or wouldn't be allowed under a complementarianism law, and, and she clearly doesn't understand. So let's take a look at what uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3 actually says. It says this, And the twelve were with him, and so also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. Now, as far as we know, Mary Magdalene was not married, so what would or wouldn't be allowed in a complementarian marriage doesn't even apply to her. We know nothing about Susanna. She's not really mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. And since she's not listed as the wife of so-and-so, like Joanna is, it's possible that, you know, maybe she was single too. But as for Joanna, uh, we don't really know much about her either, uh, but it's reasonable to assume, just as it would be for any married couple, that A, they were so rich, maybe Chosa didn't care how much she spent or, uh, you know, on what, or B, that Chosa set apart a certain amount of the family budget for her to use at her discretion, and that's what she gave to Jesus, or could be that C, she had permission from her husband to give Jesus a certain amount of money at certain times. So we don't know. Yeah, Amy. And, you know, really, if you think about it, doesn't it work that way for most couples, complementarian or not? I mean, if you have a joint bank account, you and your husband have to come to some sort of understanding about spending money. I mean, otherwise, you're not going to have any left to pay the bills. This is just, you know, what do you call it? Common sense, not complementarianism, right? I mean, Amy, don't you and your husband check with each other before you spend a certain amount of money or spend it on certain things? We do. We're we're pretty united in that. Uh, you know, they they say that there's always one person in the marriage who's better at it than the other. You know, as far as bookkeeping, and they actually enjoy it. I'm I'm that one who doesn't. So, <laughs> you know, has nothing to do with you know complementarianism. It's just that he uh, does the budgeting part, and I go, "Yep, that looks good to me." And then we <laughs> go forward. <laughs> so, same with us. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rosa next says this. Quote, the Samaritan woman under complementarianism would never have been allowed to preach to those in her town, offending their male egos. The women at the tomb, likewise. 
Okay, I, we we got to take issue with this one here, uh, yeah. Rosa, and uh, our listeners too. All of you, we we all want to go back and listen to our episode, "Women Preaching," um, and we'll link that up in the show notes because we've talked about this many times before. The Samaritan woman wasn't preaching; she was proclaiming, evangelizing. Right? There's a huge difference between the two, and they can't biblically be conflated with each other. They're they're just not the same thing. Scripture prohibits women from preaching in 1 Timothy 2.11 through 3.7. It commands that all Christians, including women, uh, we, we can evangelize, we should evangelize. And it says this in Matthew uh, 28.18. Likewise, the women at Jesus' tomb weren't preaching to the disciples. They were not preaching. They were giving an eyewitness to the testimony, uh, this testimony that of what they had seen and heard, which is also much more similar to evangelism than preaching. And also they were telling the disciples where Jesus wanted to meet them. That's not preaching. And furthermore, neither the Samaritan woman's evangelism nor the women at the tomb giving their eyewitness testimony took place in the context of a church gathering, which is the prohibition in 1 Timothy 2.11. The church didn't even exist at that point. And I'm sorry, but where does scripture say that the Samaritan's men's egos were offended? Indeed, where does scripture ever say anything about women offending male egos? You know what? It doesn't. Which, you know, not to sound like a broken record, Michelle, this is why complementarians don't believe this. That's right. And you know what? I am totally okay with us being a broken record on that point, Amy. (laughs) Complementarians believe what the Bible says. That's an important point to drive home. You can you can call yourself a complementarian all day long, but if you don't believe and and practice what the Bible says, you're not really a complementarian. Just like you were talking about those folks at Westboro Westboro are not really they're I'm going to go just go ahead and say it. They're not even really Christians. So calling no. themselves Baptists or a church, they don't even believe the gospel. So that's ridiculous. But anyway, getting back to what we were talking about, Rose's next thought is this. Complementarianism ignores Abigail wisely circumventing her husband's dangerous activities. The false version of complementarianism that Rosa is presenting may ignore that, but biblical complementarianism agrees with the Bible in commending Abigail and her stories in 1 Samuel 25, if you want to read it. Nabal, her husband, was a fool. I mean, his name literally means fool in Hebrew. How'd you like to grow up with that name? But Nabal, (laughs) yeah, Nabal was a fool and an unbeliever. And Abigail did what she did to save Nabal's life, to save him from his own stupidity, really, and his own meanness and foolishness. Uh, because David was on the fir- the verge of slaughtering him and anybody who got in, you know, slaughtering Nabal and anybody who got in David's way. So pretty, I'm pretty sure any husband would be okay with his wife saving his life. Um, she goes on, it ignores God calling Abraham to listen to Sarah's voice when she said he must send Ishmael away. And let's not forget that Sarah is put forth as a model of wifely submission. Uh, in case you haven't noticed this in scripture, 
God overrules Sarah and every other human being, and God also uses lots of sinful circumstances for his own purposes. Abraham was obeying God's instruction in that passage, not Sarah's. And that's in Genesis 21, 12, if you want to check it out. You know, maybe read it in context and then go back and read Genesis 16, 2, where Abraham actually listens to Sarai. Her name was Sarai back then instead of Sarah, where he actually listens to Sarai instead of God. And tell me how that worked out. Uh, not too well, as I recall. <laughs> right. Uh, well, next, Rosa says this, quote, When I read discussions about what occupation a woman can have without interfering with the male's ego, another word for pride, I don't think they can provide a proof text. Hey, end quote, I should say. Uh, again, with this male ego thing, I still don't know where she's getting that, Michelle. Although some complementarians believe there are certain jobs women shouldn't hold, not all do. But, you know, for those who do, it has absolutely zero to do with anything having to do with a male ego. It is both an extension of the general framework of male headship and the way God uniquely created men and women's bodies and roles. Now, in Genesis, we see Adam, the man, as the head over all creation. That's never really been revoked. We also see that men are, I mean, you can see this with your own eyes, generally physically stronger and uh, not as emotionally tender as a woman. I mean, that's just kind of how we're made. And, and this is really convenient because we also see that God appointed men to physically protect those who are weaker, like women, children, the elderly, and the disabled. Sometimes men have to uh, kill other people, as unpleasant as that sounds, or they have to lift heavy things or fight or run fast or put their feelings aside and act decisively and objectively in order to do that protecting. And that's why men are more suited to be soldiers and police officers and firemen and things like that, not because they have, you know, delicate egos. And Rosa continues, quote, the belief system breaks down as it resists application to those who can't have children or who aren't married or for those who are single mothers. Arguing about workforce placement must be distressing to those who are carrying the weight of a broken marriage or who were never married to begin with, end quote. Okay, only the false belief system she has constructed breaks down here. Um, biblical complementarianism doesn't require women to be married or to have children. The parts of complementarianism having to do with marriage don't apply to women who aren't married. And biblical complementarianism has never said that women who are unmarried or who have to work outside the home can't work outside the home, right? Look at Ruth. You know, she was a single woman who had to work for a living for a season, but she did so in a way that was appropriate to biblical womanhood. She wasn't a feminist and she wasn't trying to, you know, function as a man and so forth. And once she got married, Boaz took over the rightful role of provider, leaving her free to flourish in her rightful role of a wife and mother. And by the way, I am a complementarian woman who happens to work outside of the home. That's right. You know, hey, send me those hate letters. <laughs> I uh, happen to work for a nonprofit organization, mostly from my home office. Um, our kids are grown. They've been gone out of the house for a long time. 
and uh, my husband uh, travels during the week and there's really nothing in my job that I'm doing that's sinful here uh, nor uh, Michelle I'm not stepping outside of my biblical role I, I promise and I do take care of my home and my husband and my marriage and the people that God has put in my life by his providence to minister to that's right and don't send her hate mail you'll have to deal with me just wanted to say that. <laughs> Thank you. <my laughs> I'm the one who checks the mail. So <laughs> you have to deal with me first. But anyway, you know, what you're saying is so right. For women who know their Bibles and understand what complementarianism actually espouses, there's nothing distressing, as she puts it, about the biblical role of women. And there's nothing that says that if there's a particular season of a woman's life where she has to work or where, like Amy, she is able to work and it doesn't interfere with her role as, as wife and mother, there's nothing that, that prevents that. The Bible doesn't say that, so that's not what we believe. So the next part is, is the part where, uh, you know, when Amy was reading the post, she mentioned a couple of links that are irrelevant to complementarianism. Um, if I'm understanding Rosa correctly, what she was basically saying is that some complementarians have written things that she disagrees with on other topics such as race, and that makes it hard for her to listen to what they have to say on complementarianism. Yeah. Was that kind of how you felt about that too, Amy? Yeah, I think that's how I was reading it as well. Okay, good. Um, so we're not really going to go into that except to say, you know, so what? You need to judge an argument on the merits of that argument itself, not because you don't like something else about the person making the argument that has nothing to do with the argument. What Rosa is doing here is called an ad hominem attack. By bringing up the issue of race, she's attempting to paint complementarians as racists in order to convince her readers that complementarianism is evil. We all know these days the mere accusation of racism is the kiss of death. So we're, we're just going to lay that part aside because that's not, you know, we're dealing with the argument about complementarianism and this is just a red herring she's thrown in trying to paint complementarianism as evil. So next, Rosa says, the Bible does say women are to submit, but nowhere does it say this is a role or a lifestyle. Okay. How about if I said the Bible does say men are to love their wives, but nowhere does it say this is a role or a lifestyle. Yeah, it does on both counts in Ephesians five twenty two through thirty three. Um, so I don't I don't really know what she's talking about there because the Bible does say that. Now, from the context of her post, I'm going to infer that when Rosa says women are to submit, that she means wives are to submit to their husbands. But she was maybe just a little unclear in her wording. Just to clarify, the Bible doesn't say anywhere, nor do complementarians believe, since the Bible doesn't say it, that all women are to submit to all men. A lot of people who don't know their Bibles very well seem to think this, but scripture is very clear on this issue. Ephesians 5.22, which we read earlier, will just it plainly says, wives submit to your own husbands. 1 Peter 3.5 says this, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. We submit to our own husbands, not to every man on the planet. She goes on to say this, it would be strange indeed if submission were if submission were a role or a lifestyle as the scriptures say to submit to one another. 
Again, she's taking scripture out of context and mishandling it. Since she didn't give a reference, I can only assume that the verse she's referring to is Ephesians 5.21, which says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That verse is immediately prior, that's verse 21, and it's immediately prior to the section on submission in uh, to the section on submission and headship in marriage that we've been talking about all night, which is Ephesians 5.22 through 33. Anybody who takes the time to read verse 21 that she quoted in context can plainly see that that verse is talking to the church body, not husbands and wives. And it is saying that we are to deny ourselves and put others first. And you can, if you read the cross reference, which is Philippians 2, 3, you know, it makes it even clearer. It is not saying that husbands are to submit to their wives the same way that wives are to submit to their husbands as Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 addresses, nor is it saying that all women are to submit to all men. Yeah, and it really, um, this exercise here just goes to show how important it is to read scripture in context. And I'm glad you pointed out that we should be reading the cross references too, Michelle, because that's where uh, that the Holy Spirit can really open your eyes to the truth of God's word. So, you know, we we need to read scripture in context if we want to understand the Bible rather than just grabbing out a verse here and there. All right, so next, Rosa says, Quote, nowhere does it say men can't listen to women or that women are exempted from following Jesus. End quote. Um, of course it doesn't say this. It doesn't say this in the Bible anywhere, which is why biblical complementarians don't believe it. Uh, the next one's kind of an interesting comment. She wrote, women died alongside men in the books of Acts, in the book of Acts for preaching the word. Uh, no, they didn't. Uh, you can look long and hard at the book of Acts, but you're not going to find a single case of a woman being martyred. I think that's what she means by dying uh, alongside a man or not for preaching the word. Why? Because women in the New Testament church didn't preach the word because it was a violation of scripture. Christian women in Acts who were being obedient to scripture did not preach or pastor. Uh, there were Christian women who were martyrs during the time of Acts and uh, and even beyond that, but they were being martyred for being Christians and for refusing to deny Christ and not for preaching the word. And then finally, Rosa says, quote, let us not crucify people today for doing the same thing, end quote. Well, again, this is a conflation. It is not the same thing. Admonishing women to be obedient to scriptures that prohibit them from preaching is not crucifying them. And I believe it's blasphemous to even suggest such a thing. That is so true, Amy. Well, that's the end of Rosa's post. Uh, it's clear that she doesn't understand what biblical complementarianism actually is nor how to properly handle scripture. And when you put those two things together, the result is just disastrous. Now she believes in the false doctrine of egalitarianism, the unbiblical view that essentially women can do anything men can do in the home and in the church. Um, ladies, take it from two complementarian women. This is why it's so important to be a good student of your Bible so you will know exactly what it says and how to obey it um, so you won't end up believing false doctrine like Rosa. 
You know, it's really unfortunate that Rosa calls her blog gutsy Christianity. It takes zero guts to go along with the world, which is what she's doing and encouraging her readers to do. What takes guts is standing firm on scripture, even when the world hates you for it. You know, that's right, Michelle. And I, unfortunately, feminism, egalitarianism, it really is seeping into the church and it is a poison. Um, I've seen women firsthand who've embraced it. And, uh, you know, a few years later, their faith is deconstructed and they're believing in all sorts of strange, uh, progressive things that really aren't biblical at all. So uh, just ladies, stay true to the word of God and uh, you won't go wrong there. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of A Word Fitly Spoken. Uh, Don't forget to check our our show notes. We're going to put a lot in there. And uh, do stop by a wordfitlyspoken.life to check out all of our other resources or uh, to donate through PayPal or Patreon if you feel like uh, you'd like to support us. And until next time, embrace God's perfect, precious role for you as a godly woman and walk worthy.